Thank you, Don and Elise and Tamara. Thank you, Eddie. Great to see you here this morning, and I, uh, I hope you're ready for this evening. I think most of you will be there. Uh, normally, it's a, uh, it's a, a good time of fellowship, and, uh, and also a good time for us to reflect and uh, spend some time together, uh, and just to rejoice in what God's given us. So, looking forward to tonight. If you have your Bibles, we're going to uh, complete our um, look at the leper in Matthew, ch- sorry, Mark chapter one, verse forty to forty-five. Let's read there together. We've had two sermons so far, and this final one will complete this uh, particular series. I hope you've uh, been blessed through it and by it. I know I have. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. We'll read together, and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And he came and leapt to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But he went out, and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, in so much that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your word. And Father, I just pray that this morning that you would instruct us, Lord, by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would give us your understanding by your grace that we would not only understand, Lord, but that we, we would know how to apply it directly to our own lives. Lord, if there's any deficiency within us this morning, I pray that this, this message would help to fill that deficiency. Lord, if there's any sin that uh, stops us from having fellowship with you, Father, I pray that before we leave this morning, that we will be restored to you. We thank you once again for this time, this place. We thank you for this church. We ask that you be glorified through this message and the way we conduct ourselves each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as a quick recap on the, on the, the previous two messages, the first message focused on simply uh, verse 40, which was the way the leper came to Jesus. And it says the leper came to him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. We found the leper... Uh, we spoke a little bit about his condition and how terrible that lifestyle would have been. In fact, if you think about it and if you, if you reflect on the way the leper would have looked, the way his lifestyle would have been, I doubt that any of us would have even a comprehension of how bad that would be. Uh, I've never come across a leper. Um, and if you, if you imagine, the leper was covered from head to toe with with rotting flesh around himself, uh, with a stench that would have been difficult uh, to be around. He wouldn't have been wearing any fine clothes as we, we are wearing at the moment. Um, you see, because the, the pus that would have been coming out of him would have immediately ruined those clothes. So he probably would have been covered in rags. Um, how difficult would, he, would we find it if uh, someone like that presented themselves in church in the morning and sat in the front row? 
I'm just wondering how many, how many rows back would we find ourselves because it would be difficult to be around a person like that. And not only that, the person would have been alienated and separated from their own family, possibly for years and years, without any contact, physical contact or verbal contact with them. So this person found themselves in a, in a isolated, terrible place with the only one prospect of dying a miserable death alone. Now this person understands his condition and comes to the Lord and he compared the way he came to the Lord with the way we should be coming to the Lord in prayer. Often we come to the Lord flippantly in prayer. We don't take it seriously enough. And it says that he came to him, he besought him, he knocked down to him, and he made a profession of faith before him. He had great faith. Even though it was the first time he had met Jesus, the very first time. He may have heard stories about Jesus, but he'd never met him physically. But that one meeting made all the difference, didn't it? That one meeting changed his life forever. Because we see the reaction of Jesus to the way the leper came to him with that great need. And it says that Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Jesus doesn't turn away anyone who comes to him. If anyone comes to him, Jesus does not turn them away. But rather he would have them made whole. And we find this time and time again in the scripture. If you lacked something, if you were disabled in some way, if you um, uh, were a sinner, Jesus did, never rejected a sinner who came to him for help. Jesus did reject those who thought they were better than everyone else. Jesus did say to those who thought there was nothing wrong with them that they were blind leaders of the blind. But for those who were blind, he restored their sight. For those who were lepers, he cured their leprosy. For those who weren't able to walk, he gave them the ability to walk. And if you look at all the miracles that Jesus did, have a think about those things and how they are a picture of a person's spiritual life. For those who are spiritually blind, Jesus can restore your sight. For those who can't walk, who are lame, who can't practice the things because they don't understand the word of God, Jesus can make you walk the walk. If you're a leper and you're isolated away from God, Jesus can bring you back. Every, every miracle that he did has some spiritual application to it. It reflects the spiritual nature of man, not just the physical. And we'll look at that this afternoon. See, we may not suffer from leprosy. We don't see any lepers in our streets. But every man and woman faces a much greater problem than that. Spiritual disfigurement. And isolation caused by sin. The Bible clearly teaches that every man and woman is infected with that which we call sin. And that sin is in, as much, is in need of a cure as much as that leper was in need of a cure that day. The problem is that people don't see their own selves in that way when they look at their spiritual nature. It's a bit like a leper putting on fine clothes, standing in front of a mirror and saying, look how beautiful I am. I look fine. Well, the clothes may make you look fine but they're covering up 
a multitude of disease. And this is the problem with people when it comes to the gospel. You present the gospel to them and you tell them that Jesus loved them and came to this earth to save them and that he came to cure a problem. And they say, well, problem? I don't have a problem. I'm a fine. Look at me. I do this and I do that and I do all types of things. That shows you that I'm a good person inside. But if you look at the teachings of Jesus throughout his ministry on the earth, he repeated over and over and over again, if you think you're good, think again. For those of you who think you're following the law of God, think again. If you think you're not fornicating, remember that just to look and lust is enough. And Jesus showed us that the sin doesn't come from the outside in, it comes from the inside out. Where the Pharisees were so concerned about the outward appearance, they were so concerned about the outward conformity, they were so concerned about doing things the right way, that they failed to see what was in, that the inside was fully corrupt and that they needed a cure as much as the worst prostitute and publican. And that was their blindness. The infectious nature of sin has meant that it has permeated and infested all of mankind in such a way that the Bible says that we no longer exhibit the nature that God gave us. You see, when God created us, he created us in his image, with his nature. And the Bible says that because of sin, we no longer have that nature. That nature has become as disfigured as that leper was. That's how we look to God. That's how man looks to God. Disfigured like that. And on top of that, imagine a leper who comes to you and says, I'm fine, there's nothing wrong with me. But yet he's dying every day and he's going to suffer a terrible, terrible future. Yet he says, there's nothing wrong with me. This is the way that man is toward God. The Bible says that not only is man disfigured with sin, but on top of that he says, I'm, I'm your enemy. I don't know any you. Not only does uh, sin corrupt the, the appearance of our spiritual selves as leprosy does to the skin, but it isolates us from our family. It isolates us. So the same way that Paul Leper was isolated from his family, they, they could have nothing to do with him. He had to keep away from them. So too, sin separates us from the family of God. We were created to be part of the family of God. But every man has alienated himself because of that sin. But hope is there for the sinner with such a terrible disease that can't be healed through human effort, religious works, or trying to be good. If you've got leprosy, it doesn't matter how much you scrub and, and, and clean yourself up, the leprosy is still there. It doesn't matter how much you try and cover yourself up with good works or nice clothes, it's still there. And the same thing with sin. Something radical has to happen. There is hope. And all it requires is a person to understand their condition and to come to the Saviour and be touched by him. That touch brings a complete change in a person, a whole new life, a new beginning, a new start. As Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us, a new heart also will I give you, 
and the Holy Spirit will put within you, and it will take away that stony heart out of your flesh, and it will give you a heart of flesh. That's what God can do for the, for the sinful heart. This is what happens when a person looks to the Saviour for help. This is what you can receive if you are loaded with the weight of sin. Jesus can lift the burden of your sin and your shame and can give you a new life only if you will come to him. But in order for that to occur, you must see your wretched state. If you don't recognise your wretched state, then you won't come to him. That's why we see so many false converts today. People coming to Jesus not because they recognise their utter need and wretchedness, but they come to him to try him out. They come to him as, as, as an addition, as an add-on, as an app you download on your phone. Let's try this one out. Click, dollar money on. They try him out for a while and they find that he doesn't actually make them all that happy because they haven't realised they haven't come to him for the right thing in order to come to Jesus if you are a sinner you must hate the life that you have and reach out for a new one this leper did you see this leper went to all lengths to get to Jesus because he he realised his wretchedness he realised his lostness if a man doesn't understand how wretched he is and the destiny that awaits him, then he will never call out to the Saviour. I know I shared this with you once, and I remember this uh, saying about a Jewish accountant that we had once. And we would have interesting discussions about life and the nature of man and, and the word of God, and we enjoy our time with him. He once, he once uh, said something to me that I won't forget, and he said, a person will never make a change in their life, in other words... To make a choice to, to ch a choice to change, unless they're sufficiently unhappy with where they are, unless you don't like where you are, unless you say I am unhappy with where I am, you will live live with it, put up with it, and work your life around that. You say, oh, there's nothing better out there. I'm just going to work with this. You'll never change. You see people in jobs for long periods of time and they say they hate it, they hate it, they hate it, they hate it, they hate it. And you see them complaining and complaining and they never make a change. And you've got to ask yourself, how much do you actually hate it? Because if you really hated it, you'd go out, you'd leave and you'd get another job. But the fear, the fear of, of what's on the other side, the fear of not finding what they like, keeps them where they are. That's the same thing with, with most things in life. People stay where they are, even if they don't like it. And they won't make a change. They hate it. They live miserable lives, but they don't hate it enough to make that change. Because they, the fear of the unknown, or what's coming, is worse than the, than the hate that they have for their, for their life. You will never, never choose to change unless you truly hate your state. Have a chance to repent of sin and turn to the Saviour unless you recognise how disfigured you are before God in that sinful state and what, and what destiny you have waiting for you, which is a life in hell. And this question only you can answer in your hearts this morning. As for this leper, his greatest desire was to be clean, was to have something new, was to be made whole again. And he received it. 
The infection that wrapped his whole body was taken away in a moment. In a moment. It doesn't say that he was cured like, you know, when you take uh, antibiotics and you're cured slowly over a period of time. No, he was changed in an instant. And everyone around would have absolutely been shocked. <laughs> if he had it in front of him, for the first time in who knows how many years, he would have seen his reflection with a clean face. Completely restored. He had a new beginning and a new life. Now let's see what the Lord asked of him. Let's look at verse 43. And it says that he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away and saith unto him, See that thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter. Insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Now that's a strange command, isn't it? Look at verse 43. And he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away. Let's start with that. He straightly charged him. As, as soon as he, as he healed him, he takes him to the side and he says in a very serious way, because to straightly charge means to command sternly. It's a bit like. Ever seen a teacher tell a schoolboy, a naughty schoolboy, what to do? You make sure that you do it this way. That's the way he spoke to the leper. Sternly. That's what, it, that's what that, that, those words actually mean. As soon as he had told him what to do, Bible then says he sent him away. Immediately he sent him away. Away from himself and the crowd. It would seem probable that he actually pulled him to the side without anyone listening and basically told him face to face. I want you to go straight to the priest. I don't want you to go to anyone else. I don't want you to tell anyone about this. I want you to go there now. Leave right now. And you think, why, Lord? Why? It seems a strange thing for him to do. Wouldn't, if I was Jesus, I would say, all right, now follow me. Wouldn't you? Instead, he sends him away. He sends him out of the crowd, away, Straight to the priest. Now how much mileage and advertisement could he have got out of this one guy? Think about it. Anyone seeking to establish their own credentials and their own fame would have paraded this guy around like a prize in front of everyone. Everyone who saw him. He would have been like a, a, a billboard. But Jesus doesn't want the billboard. You know, if there was a modern day faith healer, He'd be on the news. He'd be looking, as, he'd be looking to get as much uh, television time and then newspaper time as he possibly could. Jesus didn't go there. Jesus wasn't a modern day faith healer, was he? Jesus wasn't looking for advertisements. He wasn't looking for, um, for fame. He also wasn't looking for a circus-like atmosphere in his ministry. He didn't want people to follow the miracles. He wanted people to follow the message. He wanted people to hear what he was saying, not be so enamoured with what he was doing. He knew that when they saw a leper healed before their eyes, they would go absolutely wild. And they would see him simply as a miracle worker and would pass the gospel of grace. There's an important lesson for us to learn here. And it's simply this. That good things 
can sometimes take our eyes off the right things. Good things can sometimes take our eyes off the right things. It was good that the leper was cleansed. Would you agree? But it was better for the people to focus on what Jesus was telling them rather than the miracle itself. It was a good thing for Martha to prepare the food for the disciples and Jesus, wasn't it? But it was the right thing for Mary to be sitting at his feet listening to what he was saying. It was a good thing if you were one of the 5,000 who was fed with all those, you know, those loaves and fishes. But I'll tell you the better thing to do, the right thing to do, would have been to listen to what Jesus was telling you. Because they filled their bellies, but their souls weren't being filled. There are good things in this life. There are good things that we all do. But there are other things that should be done. It's good to read your Bible, isn't it? It's good to read your Bible every day. But I'll tell you something, the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to take what you've read and put it into practice. That's the right thing to do. You can read your Bible every day of your life. And if you don't put it into practice in your own life, what value is it to you? It's a good thing for a man to provide for his family, to go out working. But the right thing to do is to nurture your family. There are many good things in life. But the good things sometimes get in the way of the right things. If we examine our lives and list all the good things that we do, all the good things that we spend our time doing, then I would venture to say that many of those good things are excuses for not doing the right thing. Because the right things are often harder than the good thing. I think you may know what I'm talking about. There have been missionaries and pastors that I've known or I've heard of in the past who have dedicated themselves so much to the ministry, which is a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. And they neglect their families. And their families fall apart. The right thing was to look after their families and to first of all be the spiritual leader in their family's home to nurture their own children rather than allow the families to fall apart. What happens to the good thing? The good thing becomes destroyed with a bad testimony. Please, don't use doing good as an excuse for not doing what is right. And you will know in your conscience. The Bible tells you to do it this way. Don't find an excuse and try to replace it by doing something good. We can be doing good things all day long. But the important thing is that we obey the right thing. I spend time counselling people. Actually, a lot of time I spend counselling people is trying to explain to them that the good they're trying to do is not the right thing to do. But they're so convinced in simply doing good that they, they don't realise the damage they're causing along the way by forgetting to do the right. We should always be open to the Lord's teaching. We should always be leaning on God's word and understanding. And if we need to seek godly counsel if we have our priorities mixed up, then seek that counsel. Prioritising your life is a difficult thing. I know. Doing the right things first 
is sometimes really hard. So what we tend to do is we do the easy things first. I know, because I've got the same temptation. Same temptation is to do the easy things first and then hope those harder things I can do later on. And oftentimes we get caught in that specific trap in our lives. We want to go around doing the, the, the good thing. Hey, look at me. I'm doing all this great stuff. And then we've forgotten the right thing way back there. And then it comes back to bite us because we forgot to do the important thing in our lives. The Pharisees were champions of this. Absolute champions. That's why Jesus said to them, you guys are happy to strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. He said, you, you, you miss the weightier things of the law by the things that you do. You miss the important things by the things you, you, you say, oh, we're doing A, B, C, D. We've got all these things that we're following. We've got time to do those things. We've got all these things. And Jesus says, you miss the important stuff because you're so busy doing good stuff. It's a nice sign of a Pharisee who fills his life with good things but fails to do the right thing. The Pharisee asks him next. He says, He saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now, why would Jesus do that? Now, Jesus didn't just send him away. He sent him to a priest in the temple. This man was told to go and fulfill the requirements of the law for cleansing. Why would Jesus go and tell him to do that? I mean, hadn't Jesus cleansed him? He was clean, wasn't he? Well, let me ask you a question. Had Jesus shed his blood on that cross yet? No. Did Jesus fulfill every law or every requirement of the law? The Bible says yes. So it was incumbent on Jesus to tell that leper, go and do the right thing according to the law if you were cleansed of leprosy, you had to go to the priest. I mean, the Pharisees were there watching what was going on. They were looking for an excuse to trap Jesus and say, and, and, and say to everyone, he is disregarding the law of Moses. But he wasn't. Jesus fulfilled every law and every requirement. It was necessary for that man to go and do that thing, to fulfill righteousness, to do the right thing, because that's what was required. We don't have that requirement today. We don't. Because Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for our sins, we no longer have to show ourselves to a priest. We no longer have to fulfil those requirements. But before Jesus died on that cross, before he rose from the grave, he has to have to fulfil everything. Turn to Leviticus chapter 14. Let's have a look at, at what the specific requirement of a leper who was cleansed was. Chapter 14, verse 1. Leviticus 14, 1. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper, in the day of his cleansing, he shall be brought unto the priest. And the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean, and cedar wood, and scarlet, and hyssop, 
and the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from leprosy seven times, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. Interesting, isn't it? I'm not going to go into all the details and symbolism that is actually that is actually encapsulated in this passage. But basically, the, the, the fellow was to go to the priest, the priest was to then go outside, take him outside, to inspect him, to, to give him a good looking over and say, no, you are clean, to, to verify that it was true or not. And then he was to take an earthen vessel, like a, a clay pot, two birds, some cedar and hyssop, and he had to kill one of those birds over running water, and let the blood of that bird pour into the earthen vessel. Then the priest took the blood of the dead bird, applied to the wings of the living bird. He then took the living bird, with the blood dripping from its wings, out into an open field and let that bird loose, so it would fly away into the air. It's a nice picture. The leper would see that bird flying away with that blood on him and would understand the, the price of his cleansing and the message would come to the leper, I am clean of the blood. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of this particular passage but that's what he did for us. The Bible says, so you notice how it says that he went outside or go forth out of the camp? When did Jesus die? Did he die in Jerusalem or outside the camp? He died outside of the walls. There's a reason for that. And this all links together with scripture. It's a beautiful picture of how a sinner is cleansed by the blood of Christ. Jesus did this for us. Well, we couldn't get to heaven where Jesus was. Jesus came to where we were. We couldn't get to God. God came to us. The Bible says in Hebrews 13 to 12 that Jesus suffered outside of the gate. Jesus came down here where we were, and in hell outside of Jerusalem, Jesus suffered death. And just as a leper had his cleansing completed by the application of blood, so the sinner today is made clean for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the sin that we've got, the sin that we have, flies away. God makes that sin as far as the east is from the west from us. So he no longer remembers it. While we sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, that's the first part of that requirement. But Jesus says in that verse, do it as a testimony unto them. Unto who? Unto the priests. Do it as a testimony unto them. You know what a testimony is? I've got a definition from the dictionary here, and it says, it's a statement or declaration of a witness under oath in a court, in support of a fact or a statement of proof or an open declaration or profession as in faith. Either way, it's 
it's you putting up your hand and saying, this is the truth of what I know, as a statement of fact, as a witness. Not just a witness in court, but a witness in this whole world, as a witness to this world about what Christ has done. Now, keep this in mind. This was the first recorded cleansing of a leper since the days of Elisha. It's a long time before. The first recorded one. The priest, do you think he'd ever seen a leper cleansed in his life? No. It would have been the very first time he was even asked to perform this specific um, act of cleansing. The first time. He had never probably worked his way through those verses and, and performed that ceremony in his life. Or probably his father or his father or his father. What was happening is that priest was then put on notice. That priest, the, te- the, the, the testament that came to that priest from that leper told that priest the Messiah was here. Someone special was here. Because I've never seen this. I've never heard. And if the last one that killed a leper was Elisha, then who is walking around here at the moment? Who is it that's doing these things? It was a testimony to him. What a testimony. That, that poor leper who was amazingly cleansed by when he, when he went to the temple to apply for cleansing. Turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, because Jesus reinforces this as a sign that he was the Messiah. Matthew chapter 11. Now, John was in prison. John was going through his own particular turmoil and doubts while he was in prison. And he sends two of his messengers to Jesus to ask a specific question because something maybe in John's mind wasn't fitting together. You see, the common understanding that when the Messiah would come is that he'd come and rule. Jesus wasn't doing that. Jesus wasn't coming with an army and, and you know, overthrowing the Romans. Jesus was walking around with, the, with guys behind him doing miracles and, and, and teaching and preaching. So John has a question in his mind. And look at verse 2. It says, Now when John heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. What was Jesus saying? John, the Messiah is here. I'm fulfilling all the, all the attributes and all the characteristics that the Messiah has to show. These are proof that I am the Messiah. Jesus pointed to his healing of lepers as a sign to John the Baptist that he was the Christ, the Messiah. So the miracles of Jesus were a testament of his authenticity, or a testament of who he was. 
And in a similar way, the disciples in the first century, when they went around healing people and performing miracles, it was a testament to the people, especially the Jews around them, who knew their scriptures, that they were authorised by God. That they were who they said they were. You know something? We are living testimonies that the Messiah has come. We are the same as that as that leper. We are living testimonies that Jesus can save people and give them a whole new life. Your personal testimony is a very powerful thing. Have you ever wondered that? How often do you share your testimony with people? It's a powerful thing, a testimony. To tell someone how God has changed your life. How you went from sinner to a saint. How now you have a new desire in your heart. How you know when you die where you are going. That is a strong and powerful message. People can argue with you about a lot of things. It's difficult to argue with someone about their testimony. When you you share what God has done for you, that's a powerful message. And you you need to have that always ready to give to people. Your testimony should be something that you always are ready to share with people and in that you glorify God. But there's something even greater than a, a spoken testimony. It's a testimony that's spoken without words even. It's a testimony when people look at your life. They look and they say... What's up with that person? How is it that they were like that before and now they're like this? I used to know that guy. That guy was a, was a criminal before. Look at him now. He's actually working with his hands and he's giving money away. That person used to be lying, a corrupt, whatever it was. If people knew you before and now they know you now, what would they have to say about you? Your life is a continuing testimony of your saviour. Now what are you testifying? What does your life testify about you? If people had to sum you up, if people had to summarise you as a person, what would they say about you? Would it be something that glorifies God because you call yourself a child of God? Or would they look at you and say, hey, nothing different between him and anyone else that I know? Think about that for a moment. We are called to live with integrity in this world. Integrity, not just by the world's standards, but by God's standards. Integrity, when we say something, when we say we believe something, that we actually do it. That's why 1 Peter chapter 2, 12 says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Your conversation is your lifestyle. The way you live in front of them. And, and honest doesn't just mean that you don't steal from them. It mean, to honest, honest means that you are consistent in your life. What you speak, you do. Let's see what the Lord asked the leper to do. It says in verse 45, But he went out. Oh, sorry, let's look at the leper. The leper responds here. He went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter in so much that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city but it was without in desert places and they came to him from every quarter. The leper failed to keep the command. He failed miserably. He was told to keep quiet and go straight to the priest. What does he do? doesn't go to the priest. He goes straight to everyone else. He 
did the exact opposite of what the Lord told him. And mind you, the Lord told him, remember I said sternly. Maybe Jesus told him sternly because he realised the temptation would be too great to go and tell everyone what had happened. Let me ask you a question. You're the leper. You're away from your family and friends for possibly 10 years. All of a sudden you're clean. What's the temptation for you? What would you really want to do? Wouldn't you want to surprise someone? Wouldn't you want to go straight home and knock on the door and then have them open the door and say, Surprise! I'm here! And then after they recovered from fainting, you just spend your time rejoicing, calling over friends, family, having a big party, making sure that everyone knew that you were now okay. Well, that temptation was too great for him. So he went around telling everyone. You might say, that wasn't a bad thing, was it? That was a good thing that he was glorifying God. It was good to him. But is that what Jesus had asked him? No. It was the opposite of what Jesus had asked him. Jesus had asked him for restraint. Jesus asked him for something that would have been difficult for him, but not impossible for him. But he failed to obey it. And and what happened after that was it made life even harder for Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't want publicity. He didn't want hordes of people bringing every person with an ailment to him so he could heal them. Jesus wanted an opportunity to share the gospel with people. He wanted an opportunity to preach the kingdom of God to people. When I was saved, when I first got saved, my life changed dramatically overnight. Now, I wasn't, a, I wasn't an axe murderer or anything like that before. But my whole life changed. And I wanted everyone to know about it. But not just that, because I, I spent a lot of time sharing with people that I knew and friends. And, but I had a zeal with the Word of God. And it was like a... Um, giving a, a new recruit a really big machine gun. Um, I managed to shoot everything. I, I, I think I shot, if, if I was aiming for a, a target at the back, I probably shot half a wall rather than going direct, if you understand what I'm saying. I used the word of God like a bomb rather than like an instrument of surgery. I was zealous I was zealous to share God's word, but I damaged people along the way. I hit them with everything that I knew, all at the same time. I made sure they they took away that they weren't going to miss out anything before I let them go. I made sure that I was able to criticise the the Catholic Church as much and warn them about those deceivers and those liars, and and I left those people half the time... um, in a difficult situation. And you might say, but weren't you telling the truth? Yeah, I was telling the truth. But even in the church, the Bible says that there are those who, who can in, endure meat and those who can't. There are those who can only drink milk. Now, Zoe, if you gave Zoe a steak right now, she ain't going to digest it very well. 
And this is the point. We need to be wise the way we share God's word. It's pointless to give people meat when they're only ready to receive milk. All I'm going to do is give them indigestion and get them upset. So it takes wisdom to be able to wield God's word. So it's important for a person who's excited about God to know their scriptures and to know how to, how to share those truths with people in a wise way. Because you can do as much damage wanting to share everything with everyone. And they, there are certain things they, they're possibly not ready to accept just yet. I find this with new believers. It's a common, it's a common thing. New believers come in church, they get saved, they're excited, and you know something? They encourage us, us older Christians, um, when we see their excitement and their enthusiasm. But it's important for, for those younger ones to be trained up in the Word of God, to know the foundational truths, to then share it in a wise manner, to be wise, to take the enormous thing you've been given, that incredible truth, and actually be able to deliver it wisely. Misdirected zeal can hinder the truth, can hinder the gospel rather than actually encourage it. This is what happened with the leper. Jesus didn't want thousands of people at his, at his, around him flocking to bring him every, every sick person. Did Jesus heal people? Yes. But his ministry wasn't, otherwise he would have opened up a surgery. He would have just opened up a surgery and had people by admission and just, and just healed them one, two, three, four, five. If that was his job, that's what he could have done. But it wasn't. Sometimes we get, we get caught on the side doing things that aren't right because they feel good. They might feel, it might feel great to let it all out, but it may not be the right thing to do. You see, Jesus gave us a commission. And it says in Matthew 28:19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lie on with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. That teaching begins. So the commission that we have, remember that the, the Lord had a commission. He had one thing he had to go and do. Go to the priest, don't tell anyone, and go and do it as a testimony to them. He could have gone to his family and told his family. He went to the opposite. The commission we have is to go therefore teaching all nations and baptising them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's making disciples. God's called us to make disciples. And it starts off with the gospel message. It's repeated in Mark 16, 15. It says, Going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. Simple. Start off with the gospel. Becoming a disciple of Christ is the beginning of a journey with Christ and requires obedience though because the next part of that, of that verse or the next part of the Matthew verse is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So everything that God's commanded me I need to be able to teach others to say you need to observe the same things. You need to obey and follow the same teachings. Many Christians in this world say they love the Lord. They love the Lord. They sing about him every Sunday morning and they do all types of things to show they love the Lord. Plenty of good things, huh? Plenty of good things out there. But then, when it comes time to obey him, 
and to understand his word and to, and to follow what that word says, they struggle with it. But being a Christian, being a disciple of Christ, means obedience in every sense of the word. John 14, 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. If you love Jesus, Jesus says, if you really love me, you will obey me. This is once again a reinforcement of that doing good, but forgetting to do what's right. It's great for me to do a lot of things for Jesus. But if I'm not obeying what he's telling me to do, all those good things that I think I'm doing are all for nothing. Do you remember the passage in Corinthians that speaks about there are some who build with wood, hay and stubble, others build with silver, gold and precious jewels, but in the end, the Bible says that we're going to go through a fire, through a flame, all those works will be tested for what they really are. And all those good things that we thought we were doing for God, the wood, hay, the stubble, will be burned. There'll be nothing left. The only thing that will be left is what you've done with the silver, gold and precious jewels. They will remain. I'll tell you which those are. That's the right thing to do. That's where you obey God. That's why there are some, the Bible says, in fact, not some, it says many, will come to me in that day. They'll stand before Jesus' throne and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things for you? Have we not cast out devils and performed miracles and done all these things? All great stuff. And Jesus says to them, depart from me. I know, I know you not. I don't know you at all. Depart from me, ye who work, iniquity, or who are. What, what, what's, the exact, uh, what's the exact word he uses? Iniquity. He calls them lawless. Because they're doing plenty of great things out there in his name. But in the end, he, he says he never knew them. Never. So in the end, he tells them to depart from him. Christian, your obedience to Christ is one sign that you are indeed a genuine Christian. One sign. What's your obedience to him like? Do you look at what he asks you and then choose to go and do your own things? Or do you sincerely seek to do what is right, even though it's painful sometimes? You see, Jesus hasn't called us to a life of leisure. He actually called us to a life of suffering. Why? Because to do right will cause you to suffer. Doing right will cause you to suffer. Coming to church isn't much suffering, to be honest with you. You can come to church. A person can go to church their whole life and not know the Lord at all. Coming to church is not a work that you will one day display before God and say, Look, Lord, look how many wonderful times I went to church. It's what you do with what you've heard that makes a difference. The leper disobeyed the command of Christ and Jesus was forced to move his ministry into the country, into desert places, away from everyone. How did that affect the ministry of the Lord? Well, it made it a lot more harder. 
The Lord wants us to live a life of obedience. The Lord says it's, it's, it's better to hearken and to obey than to offer sacrifices all day long. When we, don't, when we just disobey the Lord, we not only damage our own testimony, we potentially bring dishonour to Him. One act of obedience has the potential to hinder the work of the Lord in people's lives. Let's close up. Proverbs chapter 25, 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in, in pictures of silver. Speak the truth in love. Let's look at the, the, the leper as a wonderful example of how to come to the Lord. Let's remind ourselves how compassionate the Lord responds when we come to him. But let's also remind ourselves the leper made a mistake. The leper should have obeyed. We should obey at every point. There's no excuse for the Christian to sin. Really, there isn't. The Bible says that God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Where does this message find you today? Are you still in the position of a poor leper? And you know deep down in your heart that you are tainted with sin. And you know that you can't even look at God because of the sin that covers your body. If you're like that this morning, know that Jesus is there. There is hope for you. All you have to do is understand your condition and hate it enough to go to him and ask him. He will clean you. And have you been clean this morning already? Well, let me ask you, are you obeying? Have you done the things he's asked you to do in your life? Because if you're not, then in the end, what will you have to show? And in this lifetime, how much damage are you doing to those people around you? Remember I said there's a good thing and the right thing? It's good that we're all here this morning. It is good. Fantastic that we're all here. Great to see you all. Love you all. It's the good thing to do that. But the right thing is to take what I've told you this morning, apply it to your heart, and to live for the Lord, to obey him in every possible circumstance. And one of the things is serving in church. It's a good thing you come to church, but the right thing that you serve in church. Because every, almost every scripture in the New Testament speaks about serving. Not just coming to church just to get what you want out of it, and then fill up your belly, go home, and then forget about the rest of the stuff. There are people in this church that need you now, that need you. And you might say, oh, I've got nothing to offer. Yes, you do. The problem is that you want to do good, but you're disregarding the right. God can use you the way you are. Just make yourself available to him. Wherever you are in this walk of life, understand that God cares. He's ready and always willing to heal you if you would come to him by faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your, your goodness. We thank you for the loving kindness that you show us each and every day. We thank you for that wonderful love that was displayed on that cross at Calvary. And we thank you for the power that, that you have on our behalf, Lord. We thank you for the 
long-suffering do you have toward us? We thank you that you are merciful towards us. And you care for us so much, even when we disregard ourselves and those around us. Lord, help us to be humble before you. Help us to continually seek your face each and every day. And help us to come to you in faith, believing that you are capable of all things. And help us to obey. That we might glorify the name of our Saviour and that we might be living testimonies in this world. Lord, even without speaking a word to those people who need you so desperately. Thank you again for, for this time. And I pray for each and every person here that you would bless them as we depart to our homes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Brother Don.